from Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. For part of my commentary today, I decided to take us on a worthy tangent. We're reading a book about a slave revolt. Well, just yesterday morning, a black colleague of mine shared a very moving post on Facebook in which he expressed pain and dismay over the fact that so few of his friends, particularly his white friends, had not read Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. To my dismay, I had to count myself among them. Given my esteem and affection for this friend, I decided that had to be rectified right away, and by the early afternoon that same day, I had read it. I think I now understand why for him it belongs in a canon of morally obligatory works. I would describe it as a masterpiece of humanity. When I started it, I found myself marveling over how the man who had experienced the deprivations and horrors I was reading could possibly have written the book I was holding, with the depth of its insight, the pure poetry of its expression, its dedication to freedom, and through everything, its unfailingly gentle spirit. Like any slave narrative must, this book has seen upon heartbreaking and harrowing scene of brutality, from whipping to icy-blooded murder. But it also renders powerfully the devastation to the soul wrought by slavery itself, physical cruelty aside. The most affecting scene to me was the one that Douglas said most moved him. He writes, quote, If any one thing in my experience, more than another, served to deepen my conviction of the infernal character of slavery and to fill me with unutterable loathing of slaveholders, it was their base ingratitude to my poor old grandmother. Unquote. I'm going to share that scene with you now and recommend with urgency that you too read this book. She had served my old master faithfully from youth to old age. She had been the source of all his wealth. She had peopled his plantation with slaves. She had become a great-grandmother in his service. She had rocked him in infancy, attended him in childhood, served him through life, and, at his death, wiped from his icy brow the cold death sweat and closed his eyes forever. She was, nevertheless, left a slave, a slave for life, a slave in the hands of strangers. And in their hands, she saw her children, her grandchildren, and her great-grandchildren divided like so many sheep, without being gratified with the small privilege of a single word as to their or her own destiny and to cap the climax of their base ingratitude and fiendish barbarity, my grandmother, who was now very old, having outlived my old master and all his children, having seen the beginning and end of all of them, and her present owners finding she was of but little value, her frame already racked with the pains of old age, and complete helplessness, fast stealing over her once active limbs— they took her to the woods, built her a little hut, put up a little mud chimney, and then made her welcome to the privilege of supporting herself there 
in perfect loneliness, thus virtually turning her out to die. If my poor old grandmother now lives, she lives to suffer in utter loneliness. She lives to remember and mourn over the loss of children, the loss of grandchildren, and the loss of great-grandchildren. The hearth is desolate. The children, the unconscious children, who once sang and danced in her presence, are gone. She gropes her way, in the darkness of age, for a drink of water. Instead of the voices of her children, she hears by day the moans of the dove, and by night the screams of the hideous owl. All is gloom. The grave is at the door. And now, when weighed down by the pains and aches of old age, when the head inclines to the feet, when the beginning and ending of human existence meet, and helpless infancy and painful old age combine together, at this time, this most needful time, the time for the exercise of that tenderness and affection which children only can exercise towards a declining parent, my poor old grandmother, the devoted mother of twelve children, is left all alone in yonder little hut before a few dim embers. She stands, she sits, she staggers, she falls, she groans, she dies, and there are none of her children or grandchildren present to wipe from her wrinkled brow the cold sweat of death or to place beneath the sod her fallen remains. Will not a righteous God visit for these things?